So when I was a youngster, I would, uh, we'd go to the bowling alley all the time in Yorkville. Fox River Lanes, I think it was called back then. And I would always be trying to bum off change from my dad so I can go to the vending machine. And, and back then, you, you, you'd add the change, and, and then you'd look for your candy or whatever, and you pulled the knob. You guys remember that, some of you. <laughs> Others, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And, 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 and I mean, what a great feeling that was to, to get my, uh, my Snickers or my Butterfinger or whatever it might have been. It, it was always horrible when you went to the ones that, that spun and, and it, it stayed in the thing or it leaned against the window and you'd be looking around, you pound the machine trying to get it down and they think you're trying to steal the, steal the candy. Well, as the time went on, they updated the machine. And, and, I, and I got to ask my dad, instead of for change, I got to ask him for a bill. And that was an exciting time because he usually had a bill on him, but he didn't have quarters on him. And so I'd take that $1 bill and, and I'd go to the vending machine and I'd get all excited, figure out what I'm gonna do and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do A7, I'm thinking about it seven times, thinking, okay, I'm A7, don't make a mistake. And I'd put the bill in and it would go in and I'm excited and all of a sudden it spits it out. How many times have we done that? And I, I put the bill in again, spits it out. What do we do? You guys all know what we do. We go to the side of the machine, and we straighten that bill out, and we get it all nice, and then we put it in again, and it stays there for a second, and then it comes back out. And then we go to, up to the counter, and we, can we get a new $1 bill, the newest one you have? And, and then they exchange, and it likes that one, and it takes it in. You know... We are a lot like that, too. For some reason, these machines, they, they look at these dollar bills, even though the value is the exact same. Some of them, they just spit out because they're, they're too ugly looking, or they're too old, or, or dirty, and it can't read it correctly. But it likes the fresh, new, crisp, ones. It accepts those very much so. I was in Ethiopia about a year and a half ago, and I've been there six times, I think, now. And we, I'd go to a shop, the shopping center area they called uh, the post office, because it, it was across from the post office in Addis Ababa which is the capital city of uh, Ethiopia. And, and it's just a shops where it's all exterior. You walk into a shop, then you have to walk out into the sidewalk road and then back into another shop. And, and we're out there and, and there's a police officer uh, with a stick. And the police officer with a stick, his only job is to hit kids that are on the street that are trying to sell gum or uh, toothbrushes that are just sticks, uh, or whatever they might be selling. That's their whole job. And so when I get there, I built a relationship with these youngsters. One of them, his name is Gurma, and uh, been building a relationship with them. And so as soon as they saw me come, get out of the van, they knew that there was going to be some excitement. Because I go over to the kids, and I talk with them, and I get my shoe shine, because that's what some of the kids are doing shoe shines, and I pay them way too much for the shoe shine, and, but it gives me an opportunity to have a whole audience. Uh, the previous time I was there, I bought an entire wheelbarrow full of pineapples for all the kids, but I made the guy, before I paid him, cut all the pineapples for the kids and hand it to him, which he didn't want to do. So I take these kids, Gurma and all of his friends. One of his friends has a complete uh, deformation on the right side of his face. I'm assuming he was burned severely. Another friend walks on all fours. 
He can sit in a chair, but on a normal basis, he's just standing there like a, almost like a dog. And Gurma's built really tight relationships with these young men. And so I said, hey, guys, let's go get something to eat. There's a cafe literally just past the shops. And so they're, they're super excited. There's about five or six kids. And, and I said, meet me there. I've got to finish this. A guy was trying to sell me, I think, a map of Ethiopia and a belt. It might be this belt, actually, now that I think about it. And the kids went in there. And what do you think the shop, pe the cafe people said to Gurma, his deformed friend, his burned friend? He said, get out of here. I mean, they, they saw those kids come in, and those kids would never, ever approach that cafe. They would never go into that cafe because they knew that they weren't wanted there. They knew that they were, it, it didn't matter if they made a whole bunch of burr, that's the money in Ethiopia. Didn't matter how much they had, when they went in there, they weren't welcome. But then here comes the white guy behind them. And I walk in and, and, and the manager or owner, he's yelling at the kids and they just look back and they see me. And I said, they're with me. And all of a sudden everything changed. And I said, get them anything they want and serve them, please. And we went into a room with all the other patrons there too. And we sat for about 45 minutes and they ate and ate and ate. Now it probably cost me $20 total. But it's so interesting, the favoritism that is shown based on looks, based on money. Even if the kids had the money, they weren't welcome except for when I came. And that's what we're going to look into today. We're going to talk about favoritism. We're going to look to see what the scripture has to teach us about this. This is a very, very crucial thing and something for all of us to understand. Young, old, male, female, it doesn't matter. We all have a tendency to have favoritism in our lives, and it's a dangerous thing. So uh, we've got a little bit longer scripture today. We're going we're gonna to read uh, James 2, 1 through 13. James 2, 1 through 13. This is the sixth sermon in our series of James, and we'll continue this all the way through Mother's Day, uh, which is actually fast approaching. So we're moving quickly but we're taking a time at, this, at the same time. So if you would stand with me as I read James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers, this is from the ESV, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, oh, you sit here in a good place, while well, you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit down at my feet, you have not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? Verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but, you do, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy 
triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may your words be my words. May I get out of the way. and May you be praised. May we learn from you. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, right off the get-go, in chapter 2, we see that James has two principles for us to remember. The first one is show no favoritism to other people. Show no favoritism to other people. He starts off, he says, my brothers. And, and James has done this so many times. I, I didn't count them up. I should have counted them up so far. How many times he's referred to them as brothers or brethren? He's not referring to them as blood brothers or, or, or a sibling. He's saying, hey, my fellow heirs of the kingdom, my fellow believers in Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you something super important here. Get ready to listen up. And so that's what, that's what I'm saying today. Something very important, my fellow brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The NIV puts it, you must not show favoritism. The NET Bible says, do not show prejudice. And scripture talks about this principle all over. This principle of, of not showing Partiality, not showing favoritism. Proverbs 28, 21 says, to show partiality is not good. 1 Corinthians 4, 6, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. That was Paul. He, he was warning against lifting yourselves up and now being put up against another person. 1 Timothy 5.21, In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Again, don't think of yourself higher because you're following certain rules or you're obeying God in certain ways that you're lifting yourself up above other people. Kevin O'Brien last week actually spoke about uh, another side of favoritism or partiality. Yeah, he talked about the widows and the orphans, but he also alluded to the foreigners. Exodus 22, verse 21, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Partiality, favoritism, it's a very dangerous thing. And it was alive and well during James's time. That's why he's addressing this directly. He wants them to understand that this is not a good thing. I like how Romans 10, 12 puts it. It says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Scripture has comparison after comparison where it says there's neither Jew nor Greek, free or slave, male or female, circumcised or uncircumcised. Scripture's full of those comparisons saying, no, there is no partiality to it. We just completed a series, actually, of the life of Joseph. And we saw how, how Joseph's father, Jacob, he favored his 11th born son. And Joseph was getting all the favoritism and it caused all kinds of havoc for the, the family of Jacob. Favoritism is, is, is not only scary within other places, but within your family, it is dangerous. My kids, they know that when I drop them off to a game or practice or or whatever it might be, that, that I will tell them, I love you. Oh, yeah, remember, you're my favorite. They know I say that to every kid every time I drop them off. So there's two kids, I'll be like, hey, remember, you two are my favorite. And I'm just obviously trying to encourage them uh, and, and 
uh, let them know their dad just cares about them tremendously. And they know that I say it to every one of them. But if I was truly doing that to my five children and I had one favorite, that would be major havoc in our family. If I brought the kids up here one by one, I'm sure they'd tell you that somebody else was my favorite, except for Reggie. Reggie would probably say, yeah, I'm his favorite. <laughs> He's very confident. Favoritism is, is very dangerous in the home. It's dangerous in the workplace. It's dangerous in the church. One of the biggest dangers that I see when favoritism is brought into the church is that you lose the opportunity to witness. You lose the opportunity to, to share Christ. Because if you're showing favoritism and somebody else sees that who's not receiving the favoritism especially, all of a sudden they'll think that's what Christ, that's what, that's what church, that's what Christians are all about. They, they just have favorites. And, and, and that's not how it's supposed to be. So show no favoritism to other people. However, however, with, with, with tremendous amount of effort and, and, and great amounts of energy, I want you to show considerable favoritism toward Christ. Show considerable favoritism toward Jesus Christ, toward the King. The last part of first verse, here's what it says. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. I mean, James is starting this whole sentence, uh, th this whole section, if you will, it's a continuous letter, after he got talking about, uh, don't forget the orphan and the widow, He's, he's talking about partiality. And then all of a sudden he lifts this person up. This person he's referring to as the, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, James only talks about directly, directly uses the name Jesus two times in the entire letter. In James 1.1 1, 1 and James 2.1. Those are the only times he talks about Jesus. He, talk, he alludes to him obviously several times. James is the half-brother of Jesus. We've talked about that. But he is saying that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. He's not saying that Jesus Christ and someone else is the Lord of glory. He's identifying only Jesus as the only king. He's lifting him up. He's saying this is the favorite. This is the only one that there is partiality. Because he is the Lord of glory. Jesus is glorious. Amen? Jesus is glorious. G James wants his readers to remember that Jesus deserves all glory, all honor, all praise, all exaltation, everything, all affection, everything you have. Jesus deserves all of that. That's why he's saying he's the Lord of glory. And James is, is bringing this whole passage together to remind uh, everyone that Jesus is the king. He's the king of kings. You know, I'm sure James thought people who are going to read this letter, they're going to take an actual offense of this because they're going to think, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're, you're telling me I don't matter. You're telling me my, my name should be in that list too. These are the people that are doing great. These are the people that you should honor. Your name's not in that list. There's only one name in that list. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We want to matter. You see, that, that's the whole thing about partiality, is sometimes we want to matter so much, we want to, we want to rub shoulders with, with the big wigs, you know? We, 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 we want to... We want to be cool. We, we want to maybe line our pockets with some riches because we're hanging out with, with, with the coolest cats in town. Imagine for a second if Michael Jordan walked in our church, our little church. 
if Michael Jordan walked in here, we, we would be lining up, talking to him. We'd be looking at him constantly like, oh, Michael Jordan's here. Uh, I, I would have been, I probably would have posted on Facebook, oh, Michael Jordan uh, checks in at Indian Creek. I would have tweeted it out without my Twitter account. We would have canceled Children's Church just so the kids might get an extra glimpse of Michael. During our meet and greet time, we would have had to extend the, tell the band, just keep it rolling, we're getting autographs. I would have texted at the minimum Keith and Tim and 40 other friends. Why? We, we have a family that are guests here today. Sorry to call you guys out. It's not in my notes. This is a freebie. And I'm, I'm sure just about every single person here greeted them and talked to them. But I didn't take pictures and send it to Keith and Tim. I didn't tweet it out. It's because we have, we have this partiality that we show to, to famous people. We give honor, glory, praise, exaltation to movie stars, sports heroes, as we call them, politicians, people of great wealth. It's the, it's the story of me walking into the cafe 10, 15 seconds after the young men. I was being praised and honored and glorified because I have white skin and I potentially have money from their vantage point. Point number two, read this right in there. We have a problem to remedy. We do have a problem to remedy. You know, James is seeing the kind of response within the places where people are gathering, similar to the response of what I was saying would happen if, if MJ walked in. We do two different things. We honor the man with splendid dress, and we dishonor the man with shabby duds. That, that's what we do. Let's go back to the scripture. I know most of you have it open still, and I'll let you take those notes. I'll read it for you. It says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, we'll stop it there. Do you realize that, that men of, of wealth back in that time, they'd wear five rings on the hand, maybe sometimes six or seven, every finger? In fact, some commentators said that there was places where you could rent rings. So you could look great and, 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 and feel great. Probably like tuxedos for us. Right? You, you rent them and, and you look like a million bucks, they say. You know, some people, they, they'll go rent currently, in our current culture, they'll go rent furniture for a party. They'll rent large TVs for their Super Bowl gathering. Had to rent a center. Just get it for a week. Make it look good. Scripture continues and says, and a poor man, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. Man, what a contrast that James is doing here. Clean versus dirty. Nice. Versus not so nice. He didn't say it, but perfume scented versus major body odor. Maybe some of you haven't experienced someone that smells really bad. A lot of you have kids that have played sports and have gotten in your car after practicing or a game and 
They don't smell too good. Maybe you've been a farmer or you've lived with a farmer and, and they came in after working a long day. They don't smell too good. Maybe you work at Five B's and you work there all day. Sometimes you don't smell too good. But you can't even compare to a man who lives on the street, a woman who lives on the street, and, and they're wearing the same clothes they have for 431 days. That's what they sleep in. That's what they eat in. That's what they dig through the garbage in. You start to smell a little bit. smell is probably beyond your imagination. Verse 3 says, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, oh, you sit here in a good place. We saw that with the Michael Jordan thing, but let, let's take it down a few notches. Let's, let's say a, a man comes, and this is in my notes, a man comes in into this church and, and he looks fine, upstanding, He's got a, a well-dressed wife and, and children that are in their Sunday best. What are we doing? Are we giving them extra attention? Are we making sure that they have bulletins, name tags? Are we making sure that they understand that there's cookies after the service? Are, are we making sure that we've greeted them individually? Are we making sure that, that these fine, outstanding family that, that maybe we'll hit the cafe afterwards in Shabana? I hope so. I hope that's what we're doing because that's not what the scripture's saying. It's saying that, yes, that's great to do. That's wonderful to do, and I hope you're doing that. But he, but he throws out a contrast. He throws out a contrast. He says, if you're doing that for the fine, upstanding gentleman that walks in, the man with the ring, Goldfinger we call him, if you're doing it for him, what about that guy with the shabby clothes, the one who smells, the one who looks like he doesn't belong with you guys? The scripture says, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Do you hear the contrast that James has given to us? So when someone comes into your congregation and, he, and the person doesn't look like you, they don't sound like you, maybe they don't smell like you, they don't believe the same things that you believe, maybe they don't act the same way that you act, they don't dress the same way that you dress, are you making sure that they have a bulletin? Are you making sure that they have a name tag and they know that there's cookies afterwards and greeting them individually and making sure, hey, maybe we can hit the cafe here in Shabana afterwards. That's the contrast that James is, is trying to gather that is there favoritism being shown there, even within the gatherings. They were gathering within the house. And so, so what they're telling the the poor man there is, he says, oh, come, come in, you with the gold finger. Come, come in. And he, and he kicks his kid out of the, get out of here. He's got to have this seat. And he, he probably wipes the seat off, and, and he lets the, the fine, rich man in his mind, the, the outstanding one, sit down so he's, so he's real close to the speaker. And then as he's doing that, the host is doing that, he sees that guy still waiting at the door. And he says, hey, you can stand back there. But if you must come up here, sit on the floor. You're not good enough to, to be in a chair. Scripture really might have been saying here that there were footstools. 
where, where somebody would sit in a chair and they'd put their feet on the footstool and that they were saying to the poor man, don't even sit on the footstool, sit below the footstool. You're not even good enough to sit on the footstool. A pastor walked in. This isn't in my notes if you're following, Jacob. Uh, a pastor walked in uh, to his church, but he had spent three days living homeless. It's in 2013. I looked it up to verify to make sure it was true because I've heard it. And he spent three days, many days growing his beard, and three days out as a homeless man. Truly just living in the same clothes. And he looked pretty uh, ratty, pretty shabby. And he walked into the church where he was the new pastor, and he was being announced that day. And as he walked in, no one was greeting him. There was a church of seven, 000, seven to 10,000, I think, is what it was. And, and he walked in, and, and no one really was greeting him. He wasn't speaking to them. A couple people kind of brushed him away. One usher did say good morning to him. And he sat towards, towards the front, and, and someone asked him if he would sit towards the back because he smelled. And so then the elders got up, and, and they were super excited, and they were in on the whole thing. And they said, we, we are excited uh, to have our newly called pastor come uh, to be with us today and to worship with us, uh, but we'd like him to say a few words before we begin. And at that moment, this homeless man comes walking down the aisle and and oh, by the way, there was huge applause and excitement. And he came walking down the aisle, and, and every eye turned on him, looked at him as he walked up. Said, greetings. And then he quoted a large scripture about honoring the poor and, and giving that I am your new pastor, and we have a lot of work to do. Favoritism. I believe that there is a perspective to recognize and adopt as well. From what we read, favoritism is inconsistent with God's methods. Here's what verse 5 says. Listen, my beloved brothers, there he goes again, saying, beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? You see, Jesus proclaimed the good news to the poor constantly. Luke 7, says, And he answered them, Go and tell John that you have seen and what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear... The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. The life of Jesus is, has story after story of, of Jesus personally giving, serving, and preaching to the poor. In fact, just look through the genealogy of Jesus, and you see poor person after poor person in that line. He lifted up the poor woman in his story when she gave the two mites. He made sure they knew that. And James did that earlier. Earlier in chapter 1, he, he said how the, how the poor will become filthy rich and how the rich will come down to the poor. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 speaks of Jesus. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become poor rich. God has called the poor time and time again throughout scripture. 
God's called many rich people too. I mean, we, we immediately think of Abraham, maybe one of the richest people of, of the entire scriptures. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, Solomon, Joseph of uh, Arimathea, all these men. All these men were called by God and were extremely rich. But throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture, we see the theme and, and the, uh, not the exception. We, we see that it's not the poor in spirit, but it was the poor in economics that were given their lives to Jesus Christ, that were called to Jesus Christ. So James points out a truth to his readers, and I can almost hear James saying it, why don't these guys get it? Favoritism toward the rich is inappropriate. Favoritism towards the rich is inappropriate. Verse 6. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? To James, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense to him. The rich people weren't giving people all their money. Perhaps, I'm, I, that's probably why they were so excited to let them in because they thought maybe with their partiality that they were going to line their pockets. Sometimes that happens in our culture where we see the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Sometimes it's through uh, the ability to sue. I thought of a story, I must have seen a movie. 2005, there was a man named Robert Kearns. He died at the age of 77. But in 1967, he got an idea that he thought, man, this is gonna make life easier when you're driving a car. It's gonna make everything better. So he pitched his idea to Ford Motor Company and to Chrysler. Both of them said they didn't want anything to do with the idea, thought it was neat, but just didn't want anything to do with it. A couple years later, they adopted it for all of their vehicles. It was the intermittent, intermittent windshield wipers to make the windshield wipers go at different speeds. Uh, stall, wait for a while, and then go again. He came up with this idea. They said they didn't like it, or well, we're okay with it, and then they used it anyway. He already had a patent on it, on all the stuff going on, and so he went and took them to court. In 1978, he took Ford Motor Company. In 1982, he took Chrysler. Over a decade of time went as he served as his own attorney. He spent in court spending upwards of $10 million towards the process. He was eventually awarded in 1995 after several appeals by these large companies. He was awarded $30 million plus dollars. But that wasn't until he got divorced. He lost thousands and thousands of hours with his kids and his grandchildren. Jesus, or James, he didn't understand why. Why, when you're preaching the gospel, when you're teaching about Jesus Christ, why are you giving partiality to people who may not even care about Christ? Why are you giving partiality to someone just because they have money? It didn't make sense. That's why here at this church, that's why I don't count any of the money. That's why I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't see what you guys give towards the church. As far as I, I know, Brandon over here, 17 years old or 16 still, 17, he could give the most money in this entire church. He could. I don't know if he does or doesn't. We do that to eliminate partiality. Someone much wiser than me started that process a while ago. 
because we don't want partiality. I just want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to teach you about Jesus Christ. I don't care how you dress. I don't care if you're male or female. I don't care what your background is. I, I don't care where you live. I don't care where your kids go to school. I don't care if you have an accent, if you're from the United States or another country. I care that you love Jesus Christ, that you're in love with the King of Kings. That's, the, that's where you start separating partiality. We need to recognize that favoritism is incompatible with the royal law. Verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. The golden rule. Everyone knew the golden rule. You guys know the golden rule. And they were very familiar with this. Leviticus 19.18. Leviticus says, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's pretty, pretty plain. Jesus said in, in Matthew 7, 12, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and, and the prophets. Romans 13, 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And Jesus sums up the entire law in the royal law. That's, that's how he's summing up all the law. And James referred to his, as the royal law, which is, which is fantastic, because he's talking about not showing partiality. And then again, he lifts it up as a royal law, a king's law. Matthew 22, Jesus is responding to a Pharisee who was also a lawyer, and the lawyer asked, which is the, great, the greatest commandment of the law? Remember, he's trying to trick him in, in seeing what Jesus' response would be. Jesus says, you shall love your Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. On those two, everything is dependent. James is telling his readers that even if, if they were perfect, even if they kept this great commandment of loving their neighbor, even if I was so good and, and I was just caring for my neighbor, but if I messed up one time, if I messed up just one tiny thing, like favoritism, like showed partiality towards somebody else one time, then I'm guilty. Then I'm guilty of everything. What a challenge that is. Finally, there is a practice to render. There's a practice to render. James ends this section, we end this section, with verses 12 and 13. It says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Basically, we need to treat other people with the proper action, and we need to treat people with the proper attitude. So speak. So act. Those are our actions. We need to look at other people in the same way in the same manner that God looks at them. Allie, my daughter, 
17-year-old daughter, she posted on Facebook the other day, and it said, when you start looking at people's hearts instead of their faces, life becomes clear. I'm sure that if you're like me, you, you think immediately of, of 1 Samuel 16. You, you remember that Samuel's trying to find, uh, have the Lord show him who's going to be the next king. Saul messed up. We, we preached on this some months ago. Saul messed up, and, and I'm going to go figure out who the next king is through the help of the Lord. And, and so the Lord led him to Jesse's home. And remember, Samuel walked in, and, and he saw one of Jesse's boys, and he said, oh, that's definitely the next king. Probably a good-looking young man, strong, looked like a leader, but God had a word for Samuel. What did God say? Samuel 16, verse 7. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Eventually went out and saw this scrawny kid outside who was tending to the sheep. What was his name? David. David. Man after God's own heart. When Jesus re was responding to the attitudes of the Pharisees, he said in Luke 16, 15, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. When we talk to people, when we do stuff for people, when we uh, are, are thinking about them, don't do it so you can get something in return. That's not our goal as believers in Jesus Christ. Don't do it so you can gain something. Yes, obviously, you work, you make money, you pay the bills, you do all those things, but when you are, are there serving somebody and honoring the Lord, do it for no gain at all. I think of maybe you're, you're at your workplace and, and somebody drops all kinds of stuff on the floor. You be the first one there to help pick them up and hand it to them and then just walk off. I mean, just little tiny things like that where it's, your character is changing because you're just focused on how do I love people? How do I find ways to honor them and to appreciate them? How do, I, how do I care about them? How do I show them that I love the Lord Almighty? It's in your attitude. It's in your actions. Your attitude toward your fellow man is crucial. And this is what James is trying to get across, that you and I everyone for that matter, we will be judged from God. And, 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 and we'll all be judged by the exact same measure. Philippians 2, 10 through 11. Philippians 2, 10 through 11. Uh, I was under the tutelage of a, another pastor many years ago as a youth pastor. And, and Pastor Jeff said, Phil, if there's any portion of Scripture that you should memorize, this is, this is the portion uh, that I want you to really focus on. I'll read it from the ESV. We talked about this in small groups. Sometimes we have things memorized in a different version. Uh, I was a New King James version back then. Uh, but this is from the ESV, Philippians 2, 10 through 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Every knee, every tongue, everyone is going to bow. So that means if Brandon's given the most money to this church, 
and he's coming in with the beautiful rings on his fingers. And then Tiffany over here is homeless, and she lives in a car that she got from her parents, and she barely can get around. She doesn't even have insurance on that car. None of those things matter. None of those variables matter because Brandon and Tiffany are both going to bow their knee to Jesus Christ in the end. It doesn't matter. We're all going to bow our knee to Jesus Christ. We're all under his lordship. Again, that's why here in America we have trouble understanding a king. We, we, we have trouble understanding what a king is. When a king says something, we just do it. When a king walks in, we bow in honor. I'll close with one more story, and this is found directly in Scripture, though. But I'm going to read it from the J.B. Phillips New Testament paraphrase. Mention the, I think our small group material mentioned the J.B. Phillips. I've mentioned it a couple weeks ago. It's just an interesting... Uh, paraphrase uh, from England in Matthew 18 verses 21 through 35 Jesus tells a parable about the necessity for forgiveness and, and about the partiality and, and the favoritism that we sometimes show here it is then Peter approached him with a question master how many times can my brother wrong me and I must forgive him? Would seven times be enough? No, replied Jesus. Not seven times, but seventy times seven. For the kingdom of heaven is like a king who decided to settle his accounts with his servants. When he had, when he had started calling in his accounts, a man was brought to him who owed him millions of pounds. And when it was plain that he had no means of repaying the debt, the master gave orders for him to be sold as a slave and his wife and children and all his possessions as well and the money to be paid over. And as the servant fell on his knees before his master, oh, be patient with me, he cried, and I will pay you back every penny. Then his master was moved with pity for him, set him free, and canceled his debt. So, so a man who is in debt there's no chance in the world he could ever pay it back. He bows and he asks the, the master, please have, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And his master looks at him and he, and he has the pity. And he says, you know what? You've been forgiven. All of your debt is gone. Your wife, your children, they are free from me dealing with them. Unbelievable. That's us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ. We have been freed. We, we owed a huge debt that there's no way we could pay it. But our king has said, you're free. You've been forgiven. I have washed you as white as snow. I've cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. They're, they're in the bottomless pit. So what happens to this guy when he walks out? But when the same servant had left his master's presence, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a few shillings. Not much at all. But what did he do? He grabbed him, and he seized him by the throat. And he said, pay up. Pay what you owe me now. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and, and he implored him, oh, be patient with me. Same thing. Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused and went out and had him put into prison until he should repay the debt. Well, the fellow servants heard about this and they were horrified and they told the master the whole incident. And his master called him back and he said, you wicked servant. Didn't I cancel all the debt when you begged me to do so? Aren't you, that's an interesting word, aren't you to have taken pity on your fellow servant as I, your master, took pity on you? 
as his master in anger handed him over to the, to the jailers till he could, should repay the whole debt. And this is how your heavenly father will treat you unless you, you each forgive your brother from your heart. Friends, you and I are in the same exact boat. We're in the same exact boat. We, we have, each of us, if, if, if we went around and, and told of, of our issues that we have, the things going on in our lives, the, the sin that we have, whether how small they are or how large they are, we all have issues that we're dealing with. But our job is to look on one another with compassion, with, with love, with, with, with seeing your heart as God sees your heart, looking at you, not your face, but your heart, and, and truly honoring each other, truly trying to, trying to bless each other, trying to find ways, getting creative to bless one another. That, that's what God is calling us to do. Not to show favoritism. So, so that's the challenge. That's the challenge today is, is can you walk away from here and do a self-assessment where you're saying, are there people that I'm treating, that I'm lifting up higher and higher, that, that I'm going out of my way to make sure I greet them as opposed to the person at the cash register? Are you, are you just telling the person at the cash register at McDonald's what you want? Or are you connecting with them? I know they got a job and they may have a whole line and you don't need to carry a long conversation down with them, but you can care about them. Francis Chan, he, he, he did a little experiment. He had himself sitting on one end of a table, kind of leaning against it. You guys know Francis Chan, a lot of you do. And then he had, he said, a grungy teenage kid sitting on the other side of the table. They were both just leaning against it. And they took video of it to see how many people would greet him the senior pastor, famous author, and how many people would greet the shabby kid with the shabby duds? How many people would greet him? It was in the 20s, 30s, in this short period of time that people were greeting Francis Chan, the pastor. One person greeted the young man. It was, it was one of the ushers actually sat there and asked how he was doing. Who is it that you need to go out of your way to not show favoritism both directions? We, we want to be a church that loves people because we love Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the only reason. If you don't love Jesus Christ, do, do what you want, I guess. Because we only know how to love because he first loved us. That's the only reason we know how to love. That's, that's the only reason I know how to love my wife and love my children. That's the only reason I know how to love you is I try to follow the example of Jesus Christ who went to the cross for me when I owed him uncountable amount of debt. I couldn't pay it back. But he went there anyway and he said, okay, I, I, I got this one, Phil. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we need your help, God, and we need you to teach us how to not show favoritism in a way uh, that is bringing honor to you. Clean our hearts and our, our heads uh, so we could um, have your heart. 
that we can ask the Holy Spirit uh, to guide us in our, in our daily walk. May we, re we reflect on our own lives, on, on how, we, um, how we act, what our attitudes are. Lord, we want to serve you. We, we truly uh, want to worship you with pure hearts. But we need your help. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the sacrifice in your son, Jesus. Thank you for his resurrection. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand for our final song.